pay attention to what you're eating. And it doesn't matter what it is, meat or vegetables, pay attention to the, where they come from. I just think we, we need to be way more connected to the natural world than we are now. And I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, we, we go to the to a grocery store and, and pick up a package and not know or care where things come from. You've got to understand that the world are only going to get better if, if we start doing the right thing. You know, think about regenerative agriculture. If you can buy, if you're lucky enough to have access to farm products that are based on regenerative agriculture, do it. You know, we used to complain about organic food being too expensive. It's not. It's mainstream now, and it's terrific. Support the farming industry generally, but specifically support you know organic farmers and regenerative farmers if you can. Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with arrows in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Welcome to an episode dedicated to the forefront of aquaculture innovation and sustainability. Our guest, and this is a a new one for us, guys. He's a 30-year industry veteran deeply rooted in technology development and farming operations. His company is on the verge of becoming Canada's largest approved facility thanks to their pioneering use of land-based recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS technology. With a global track record, they've harnessed decades of experience in fish farming to create a sustainable model that's both productive and eco-friendly. Thank goodness. Today, our guest, Robert Walker of Gold River Aqua Farms, will discuss the future of aquaculture their sustainability efforts, and the game-changing RAS technology. Welcome, Robert. Hello, KJ. Thanks so much for that wonderful introduction. Yes, yes. You know, we haven't really done anything in agri-tech or aqua-tech or anything like that. But, you know, sustainability in our food um, is ever important today. So I'm really, really, really interested in this. Before we dive in, because I know our listeners have a lot of questions. Tell our listeners what your fundamental ingredient is for disruptive innovation. Well, my personal drive is systems thinking. I, I was lucky enough to to take an executive MBA about 20 odd years ago. And one of the several courses in, in sustainability that I was taking was all about systems thinking. It gave me a really interesting perspective that uh, we cannot stay isolated from our natural environment, let alone our, our human-created environment. So I think innovation and disruption is all about uh, accepting what's going on in the world around us and, and adapting to it. And, and the industries that, that don't adapt, are, are, I think, are going to fail. But in, in aquaculture, you know, we're, we're as guilty as anybody, of, I guess, of being 
narrow-minded in, in some senses, um, but we are hugely impacted by the natural environment. And uh, we work in the ocean, typically. The ocean is changing very rapidly. So it's uh, very important to understand what those changes mean and how we'll need to adapt for in the future. You know, I'm really glad you said that, the systems thinking, like that you cannot stay isolated. I mean, one of the things that I realized during COVID is that we're all interrelated and interconnected. Everything is. And I remember doing press conferences with the media and business leaders of all over that were really trying to navigate the crisis. And one thing that affected technology and hardware was like impacted by shipping and logistics, was impacted by, you know, the e-commerce, was impacted by the trucking shortage, was impacted by, you know, financial technology and people being able to make their payments. I mean, it was and then, of course, everybody needed to be connected. And that was the time that you were cut off and you weren't connected. And then you realized, oh, my gosh, we're all interconnected. We're interrelated. And these silos really started to break down. You say that you guys or your industry has sort of been guilty of this, right? Aquaculture. But, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the natural environment affects you very much and the ocean is changing. Tell me more about that. Sure. The, the ocean, I, I guess it's, it's the bottom of where everything goes. Uh, so anything that we do is, uh, on, on land ends up in the ocean. And in, in coastal waters where we see a lot of the huge sort of human-caused impacts is, is exactly where traditional aquaculture done. So when you think about the impact of forestry, for instance, you know, taking trees out of, out of the, the tops of the watersheds, uh, which creates uh, siltification and, and destroys salmon beds and so on, all the way down through the system, all of that it, agriculture flows into the ocean and, and creates eutrophication problems. You know, just about anything we do, anything that is tossed into the sewer system ends up in the ocean. So, and and coastal waters are are where the, the biggest impact, the biggest noticeable impact are. So, um, yeah, we, we we in aquaculture, as I say, we, net cage operations in the ocean are deeply affected by all those changes, and the broader changes. You know, we're seeing uh, more and more uh, temperature changes, for instance, in in the ocean, which are creating interesting storm systems. Uh, temperature also has an impact on dissolved oxygen levels, which obviously affects fish. They're on and on about the uh, environmental impacts, but um, I, I just think that we need to be aware of, of how we are impacting the ocean and, and what we can do to either uh, stop impacting it or avoid the, the existing uh, challenges. Right. It's, it's kind of a combo of both, isn't it? It is. The aquaculture industry has, for for many years, been incredibly innovative. They, they you know they've really adapted well to to changing environments. Um, gosh, when I when I started years ago, uh, you know the big innovation was moving from wooden walkways to steel walkways. Uh, but today they've got everything from from uh, great big steel predator cages outside of these systems to uh, floating closed containment systems. You know through to sea lice protection, um, freshwater washing systems for amoebic gill disease. Uh, just all of these things are—they cost so much money, and and in, in in both development and and the implementation, and it's all to mitigate for things that they really don't have control over. You know, these the ocean changes um, are are so rapid. You know, dead water events, these big pools of of uh, hypoxic water 
that that uh, just suddenly appear. What type wipe- toxic water? Oh, sorry, low oxygen water. <laughs> they, oh. they, you get these. Um, uh, they're they're formed for a number of different reasons, but uh, uh, you know, you take a, a large algae bloom, for instance, and as the algae die, they they sort of suck up a lot of oxygen there they, uh, as they biodegrade. But uh, you might end up with a very large uh, body of water that has very little oxygen in it, which of course is going to kill your fish. So. And how do you get beyond that? So that's that, that's our great challenge. Technology is a is a really interesting world to look, to work in. I, I think in times we're over technical. Um, your your reference to the the COVID uh, challenges with with technologies is a really good point. But at the same time, there are some wonderful technologies that we can take advantage of um, in 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 my industry in aquaculture. So. And these things are not new, of course. They, they they've been around for for many many years, but it's just how we adapt and and uh, innovate with them to to get get bigger and better. Yes, well, you know, aquaculture already is innovative in its own right, but now you guys have taken it to a different level. So I'd like to understand before we really start explaining RAS technology to me, right? Explain to me why it was needed. Like, what is the status quo in fish farming? What is the status quo in the traditional aquaculture? What needed or needs to be changed? Well, from my perspective, there, there are several kind of status quos that need to be changed. But one of them is, is obviously, as, as we've been talking about the working environment, uh, and we, we can make those changes. But there are, there are others. I, I, the, the decline of aquaculture on the west coast of British Columbia is... The, the current status quo, um, and and I, I really think that that can be changed rapidly again using the technology that we're proposing. Why so, is it declining? Uh, uh, well, regulatory challenges uh, for one thing. The the uh, federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans is the regulator for uh, aquaculture permits. There there's, uh, there are also uh, provincial regulations around use of crown lands and crown tenures and so on. But uh, the federal government has jurisdiction over the the licenses to farm and the current administration has uh, said that they they want to make change they want the industry to transition away from current technologies which are water based floating systems um, and into more use the term broadly some more sustainable systems but uh, you know the, the transition um, has been to to close or the the implied transition would be to close containment systems, most of which, of course, would be on land. But uh, the industry is definitely developing other systems that are that are floating. Um, and I, I spent a lot of my career working on floating closed containment systems, so that's a whole other whole other topic. But uh, <laughs> well, what's the unsustainability of that? I I think that um, I I'm not anti net cage at all, uh, but I I do feel that. Because of the changing environments, I think the industry will be forced to move out of the ocean, uh, at least a lot out of coastal uh, waters to, to farm, just because it's getting to more and more challenging all the time. There are too many unknowns. My perspective is all about how to manage your, your business properly. And, and, you know, it's, there are always unknown unknowns, I guess, in, in any industry, but, but, um, typically that what we do know is that we can control the water quality and land-based systems. It really is about the, the, the controlling the rearing environment, having the, the best case, the consistent case of, of uh, rearing environments for the fish. In the ocean, it's changing all the time. Temperature changes, um, the oxygenation changes, algae changes, um, uh, external threats like uh, you know jellyfish swarms or sharks or sea lions. All of those things come into play in the ocean. 
Sea lice is another big thing. We don't have those issues on a land farm. Sea lice, yeah, it's a little parasite that uh, um, they're, they're obviously naturally occurring, but uh, they they tend to kind of bioamplify in in net cage systems because the the hosts the the fish are uh, are captive. They don't have a way of of getting right. the lice off, so they can be very detrimental. To the, to the fish stocks. Are all these particular variables that it's really hard to control in the ocean, temperature, oxygen, algae, right? Is that what tends to give fish farming a bad name and people don't really know it? Well, th- those are natural elements that come into play, uh, yeah. which, which make it farming very, very challenging. I, I think that the, the bad name, the controversy, it tends to be um, using... Uh, aquaculture as a whipping boy for for the destruction primarily of the of the salmonid uh, uh, population along uh, well around the world really <laughs> aquaculture is still a relatively new industry um, and has not had uh, that much of an impact I don't believe on on systems so, you know early days there was definitely some when when I think about the the very first farms they were parked in beautiful uh, bays. Which had no water movement, and and they they obviously contributed nutrient to the water, which created algae blooms. But you know that was a long time ago, and the, the industry has moved its systems out into much more active waterways. And and uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the, the adaptability of the of the industry and all the innovations. It's all about creating the best environment possible for the fish. Um, and, well, you, you don't know, really we, hear about all those innovations. You know, it's well, like. It's- like yeah. a big education factor for the industry, right? That yeah. they should get out ahead of it. A friend of mine likes to point out how we never hear about safe landings at LAX. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Does, yeah, they yeah. need their own PR campaign, ready? Yeah. Well, tell me about the RAS technology. What's so innovative about this and what does it solve? Yeah, well, let me give you a little bit of background on, on RAS just so, so your listeners have a, a better understanding. Um, recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS is a, uh, an acronym that we use. But um, so you say RAS. Uh, RAS, okay. yeah. I, I call Got it RAS, but you can call it whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's it really is about controlling your your environment. So you you are creating, you're synthesizing the ocean essentially, or or your or freshwater if you're doing a freshwater species. But uh, you have a series of uh, filters, mechanical filters to remove solids, and biological filters to to remove um nutrients so um you know there are, there are a number of challenges and with these technologies over the years they've they've come such a long way um pumping systems for instance to move the water we're, we're moving tremendous volumes of water at very very low energy now um which which really excites me i think it, there's a lot of opportunity there for for more innovation but uh, we're we're already ahead of the the, the trend in in industry but um, yeah, you want you want the water to be moving because fish like to swim in moving water. You want it to have the right levels of oxygen, so you're adding uh, you know oxygen supplementation all the time to make sure that your oxygen is good. You're sweeping out the the waste, and uh, you know hopefully we're not wasting feed. But uh, the fish fish do eat and they do generate manure, so we need to remove that so that it doesn't biodegrade in the systems. And then you know, as essentially other other, other filtration systems, um, removing nitrogenous compounds, which can be deleterious to fish health and then you know the the other side of that too is um these systems because it's land-based and fully filtered we collect uh the manure which is actually a high nutrient uh substance and, and can be used in in um, as garden amendments when, once you've uh, say, great fertilizer right it's absolutely terrific fertilizer yeah 
Wow. So yeah. Anyway, so our our um, system is is innovative in a number of ways. The the traditional tank systems, land based tank systems, are large round tanks. So water is pumped in, it circulates, it goes out a, a hole in the bottle bottom, so, similar to a, a toilet. I don't like to use the word toilet so much, but it gives you the concept that the swirling water. Yeah, uh, and the fish swim into the current, and and uh, their their manure drops out and and is collected through the bottom. As are you know, when when fish uh, perish as well, they they come out through these systems too. But so our system is is what we call a raceway. So instead of circular, it's a long rectangular system. So raceways uh, have water going in one end and out the other end, which is a nice straightforward system. It's been used for for centuries, really, in in land based uh, aquaculture all around the world. But the innovation here is in, what we call for centuries. That's oh, so well, aquaculture is thousands of years old. It's uh, it's quite amazing. The First Nations on the on the coast here have got uh, oyster beds that they used to culture um, the oysters, and it's just yeah, it's amazing history. Getting. Yeah, this linear instead of circular, it's linear goes yes. one end out the other. That's right? right. And then what we've done is introduce what we call mixed cells. So um, we have five exit ports along the length of the raceway. And and uh, the water is also entered in to to uh, at the sides of these uh, of the raceways to create a, a circular motion. So we have five virtual cells. So the water uh, is circular and it's, it's almost like a continuous figure eight as it flows through the uh, to, through the length of the raceway. So the beauty of this is that it you you're collecting so many more of the solids. You know, your water mixing is fabulous. You've got the same quality of water at the top as you do at the bottom and also at the beginning of the raceway as you do at the end of the raceway. So the fish have, uh, they, they have access to the entire body of water uh, for, for you know, doing what they do is swimming around. So it's, it's um, I think it's a really fascinating innovation and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to put it into play in, in Gold River. There are, uh, this is not brand new. This is, this is uh, newer technology, but uh, I think it's, it's really good. And I mentioned en- energy uh, as well. We, we uh, operate on kind of a single plane. So the, the water level is pretty much the same throughout our, our facility. That means we don't have really high pumping heads that a lot of the other systems uh, use. And so we, what does we, that mean? High pumping heads? Oh, well, you, because there are, there are certain um, technologies that, that you use within um, a RAS system, uh, you have to move the water up to the top of these and let it dribble down. Uh, uh, so that's a lot of pumping energy. Typically, it's well, we called 14 feet. I was going to say th- uh, three meters or three and a half meters of, of uh, pumping head. But that that takes a lot of energy to move water mm-hmm. up and down those systems. Yeah. So, we're, yeah. We're, so with and ours, so you don't need that much energy. We don't so need that much. We're about half of the energy or, or even a third of the energy that a lot of the other systems are. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. And what does that do for the actual product? I mean, you know, ultimately, it's the end consumer that's consuming these, buying and consuming. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are a number of things that go into making a high-quality fish. Um, You know, starting, of course, with the ova, you you really want your best quality eggs, disease-free, and so on. But the the rearing environment is is really important. Um, Fish, if, if they are... If they're not exercised properly, they will get sluggish and I mean, just like us, they get, they'll eat and they get fat and they, the, the flesh quality is soft. Uh, you don't have a, a really good end product, but 
you want the water to be moving at a certain uh, rate, and and there's been lots of research done on what the the best rates are for fish. Um, so you know that's important. That the feed you feed them is is equally important. That the the quality of the water itself has an impact on fish taste. Um, a lot of the challenges with with uh, RAS systems are around the the uh, what they call off flavors in in the end product. So these are created by bacteria. Uh, Geosmin and MIB are two of the, the common ones referred to, but there are a number of others that, that can cause an off flavor. I don't know if you you mentioned you like rainbow trout earlier. If you've had a yeah um, a lake from a from a lake that's not very active, you know, sort of not stagnant, but but not very active, you, you'll probably have a muddy flavor in your fish. Um, sometimes you see that in catfish or tilapia. But, yeah, uh, that, those are those are off flavors. So oh, that's um, interesting. Now I'm a big catfish lover, but you know it's true. It has to be the right catfish out of the right water because they exactly. are feeders, right? Right. So yeah. we uh, we we purge the fish uh, afterwards, and and one of the but a purge is is basically putting the fish into an absolutely purified water system um, with no feed. So the, you you purge their guts, which also tightens up the flesh, but it also gives the the uh, the fish time to kind of clean out anything that's in their system that might might uh, produce an off flavor. One of the neat things about what we're doing is growing our fish in, in brackish water. So brackish is is uh, salty salt water. water. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's yeah, but it's not as high a concentration as the ocean. It's a little bit less. Mm-hmm. So brackish water growing fish tends to have far fewer issues with with off flavors. Why is that? Um, you know, it's a good question. I don't have a good answer. I mean, salt's really good for <laughs> you. I mean, you well, can have yeah. a you go in the ocean or, you know. Yeah, I, I suspect it has to do with the uh, the ability of bacteria to, to procreate in the salt water. It's much less than it is in yeah. fresh water. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. You know, it seems to me like with this RS technology, this RAS technology and how you guys are, you know, innovating it, and with all of the trouble in the ocean, I mean, I'm thinking about I go to Whole Foods or I buy, you know, and you you think, well, aqua farming, farm raised fish, and, and then it says wild caught. Right. And then I'm talking to you and I'm thinking, you know, it seems to me like if it was the right technology, if it was the right aqua farm, I might want that health-wise more than I might want a wild caught fish. Mm-hmm. It's... <laughs> Yeah, I guess there are a lot of ways of looking at this. I, I'm really concerned about supplies of wild fish in the ocean. They are diminishing so rapidly. In fact, the, the Canadian uh, fishing industry is basically defunct. There, there are not enough fish in Canadian waters on the West Coast to to keep the industry going. Uh, wow. Most of the fish that's processed here comes from Alaska, and Alaska has its own kind of hatchery system that supports its its uh, wild fishery. They, you know, they call it ocean ranching, but uh, Tremendous numbers of fish are are um, sort of artificially introduced into the ocean, and and not just Alaska. The the Russians do it, the the Japanese do it. You know, so uh, but um, you know, so I guess it, it, it maybe it depends on the type of fish you're eating. There are a lot of sustainable fisheries. Um, probably the more sustainable ones are the smaller fish, which in North America we don't typically eat. The uh, the Europeans, Spaniards, and Portuguese love the little fishes. You know, the anchovies. Um, that's really I mean, they're delicious, but they're not really part of our diet. We're we're more of a big meat eating diet. We like our slab of meat on the, on the center of the plate. Me too, um, don't. And yeah, so if you're going to eat a, a, a salmon, I I would suggest the best thing you could do is eat a farm salmon because 
um, it, it's come from a very sustainable environment, and uh, the you know the quality is excellent. Uh, I can remember many many years ago. Actually, this is going back to when I first started. I was talking with a um, one of the fisheries regulators out on the ocean, and he said, having seen farm fish and, and examined them under the microscope, he would never eat a, a wild fish again. And he was referring to the parasites that are in them. Um, so uh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, well, your s- whole industry needs to do a campaign because people really oh. need to be educated. I think there's a black mark on farm yeah. fishing. But, you know, tell me this for our listeners. What does a, a sustainable fishery mean? In the wild? Well, well, I, I guess. Let's look at both. Let's give them a, yeah. a point of comparison. Sure. Well, it's sustainability, you know, we used to say it has three legs. You know, it's the, it's the people profit. Um, planet thing but really sustainability in, in nature is is the the continued um healthy supply of of whatever it is you you're growing so if you look at a take a, a mine for instance as a you know complete anomaly in this conversation but a mine is not really sustainable because it's it has a limited resource you can only take so much out of the ground before there is no more um the fishery is not all fisheries really are that sort of thing. You can you can only take so much before they start diminishing. The cod fishery on the on the east coast uh, is a really good example of what happens when fisheries are overfished, and we're seeing so many species of fish that that have been overfished. And what uh, does that mean, overfish? Like I guess we've just ta- taken out too much. Um, yeah. So you know, it, I, I think about the recreational fishery uh, here in, in British Columbia. It was a great triumph to capture large fish, great big Chinook salmon, 50, 60, 70 pounds. It was a huge thing. Right. Of course, taking all those fish out of the water means that the gene pool is diminishing. So the fish that are left are the smaller ones. And the size of the catch over the years has diminished. Now there's small fish. Um, uh, you know, that's an example of what happens when you overfish a specific size. I know that the um, the commercial fishing guys have done a really good job of, of developing nets that are specific sizes so that a certain size of fish are captured and other sizes are let go and they spend a lot of time on bycatch trying not to catch bycatch um so there's an awful lot of science that goes into this to trying to make fisheries more and more sustainable but when you think about consumption we consume more and more all the time there are limits to what nature will provide um and uh, you know we've peaked and, and gone past many of those limits so that's where agriculture and aquaculture really come into play. You know, we we can continue to have these these wonderful uh, animal products in in our lives, but we can't we can't continue to do it straight out of the ocean. So true. It's wildly important. No pun intended here. <laughs> but good, <laughs> so good one. <laughs> how is you know how is your company on the verge of becoming Canada's largest approved facility? What does that mean? Sure. Well, um, RAS systems have been around a long time, but many of them are quite small scale. Uh, there are a few large examples right now in, in, in your neck of the woods that uh, people look to, but uh, um, there, there really aren't many successful large scale farms. There are certainly a number of smaller, I, I would call them family farm scales, the scale uh, systems, you know, 100 tons or, or maybe 150 or 200 ton production. And those are terrific. I, I get really excited talking about family farms because I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But they're not uh, commercially viable in the sense that they, 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 you really, you know, you're very limited in, in production. And, and 
Ross is fairly capital forward. You need a, a lot of equipment to make it work. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to invest that much, you, you, want a, you want a good return. Our system, we applied for a, um, a license for, from DFO. Um, we intend to grow 3,000 tons of steelhead annually once we're licensed. Steelhead salmon. Steelhead salmon or steelhead 300 tons annually. 3,000 tons. 3,000 tons. Yeah. Um, well, to give you a sense of that, the British Columbia yeah. uh, total production in, in British Columbia was around 80 or 90,000 tons. It is now probably around 50,000 tons because of closures on a number of farms. Um, I, our, the site we're on actually has the, the physical uh, space where we could do uh, probably 15,000 tons in total. So, you know, that's that, a that lot would, of fish. It's a lot of fish, but there's a huge gap in the supply uh, and versus demand. Uh, most of it in the U.S. Uh, you know, the U.S., as you know, imports almost all of its seafood. Yeah. So there's a real big demand. Mm-hmm. Huge demand. Salmon. Really? For steelhead, yeah. For some ones generally, but steelhead, you mentioned you, you love rainbow trout and a lot of that was smaller fish. Yeah. Um, but but the, the Atlantic salmon industry really opened up demand for larger fish. And um, for a long time, Atlantic's filled that, that supply gap. But uh, now we're seeing more species demand. So uh, steelhead is, is one of the species that's in high demand these days. And there's just not enough production. So interesting. Well, I do like salmon. I mean, I live on the Gulf Coast and we have seafood places and restaurants that actually like fish out of our Gulf waters, right? right. But yeah. some that you just can't, there's, they don't belong here, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You have to get, yeah. Well, that's really exciting. So when you're on the verge of becoming Canada's largest approved facility, are you supposed to get like a, you know, a certification for this? Like, you know, how does that work? A certification. Well, I mean, if if you're, this is the largest approved facility. Oh, well, we've already got our license, our our aquaculture permit. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I knew you had a license, but I didn't know if there was something else, addition. We we will, uh, there are a lot of certifying bodies out there that uh, sort of put the stamp of approval on your, your methodology. Um, so when, when we're in production, we will be working on, on, uh, you know, w- with the certifiers and getting specific certifications that, uh, kind of it's, it's third party saying that we're doing the right thing. We know we're yeah. doing the right thing already, but I guess we need somebody else to say it too. Hey, people <laughs> like that third party credibility and yeah. that party validation, right? It's, it's true. It does, uh, it makes a big difference. You know, the retailers really love it. They like to be able to say it's ocean wise or it's, uh, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium approved or whatever, but uh, yeah, someone who's actually done the work and looked into your systems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did you get into this? <laughs> Good question. Kind of by accident. That's what I love about pioneers and, and yeah. Well, I, I started off my my career in the mining industry and and uh, I went to school, got a diploma in, in mining technology, and then at the at the time, the mining industry in, in Ontario, where I was from, was was going undergoing one of its many downturns, and and so I I made some changes, came out to the west coast. I was doing other things, and then a friend of mine introduced me to uh, aquaculture through logistics, so I I came in early days in, in a, a company that was uh, quite innovative and and I uh, worked with them for about 25 years. So it, uh, that was a, a lot of fun. I, I, I mean, I'm a fish farmer in the sense that I, I am part of the industry, but I've never worked on a farm as a career. I've always been on the business side. So I've done logistics and purchasing and sales and marketing and 
uh, a lot of management. And uh, and then, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be part of this this really innovative uh, program that the British Columbia government put together about uh, over 20 years ago now. In, in, in 1999, they had this green technologies initiative. There was a moratorium on salmon farming licenses at the time, but they they dangled this carrot where if you were involved with a um, an alternative technology that was you know sustainable, um, they would also give you a uh, notion license. So we applied and received the, the two licenses. We sold the one to give us enough capital to run the other. So we spent five years on a land-based farm um, just south of Nanaimo, learning a lot about growing fish in, in containers. It was a really wonderful experience. And from there, we I mentioned earlier, we were involved in, in floating closed containment, but uh, energy costs were extremely high in that pump ashore system. And um, we, we reduced the energy by by moving to floating closed containment. So I spent a lot of years in the technology around uh, containment, as well as the sort of ancillary technologies like pumping and water quality monitoring systems and um, that sort of thing. So yeah, really cool. So cool. So very interesting. And with all of these 300 tons of steelhead salmon, right? Thousand. thousand. I'm sorry, 3,000. <laughs> I just cannot get the magnitude of that, right? That's a yeah. lot. It's a lot um, of fish. It's a lot of fish. Like, who do you primarily sell to? And like, if a consumer wanted to go in and, you know, get steelhead salmon that was farmed in Gold River Aqua Farms, I mean, would right. they even know? Well, um, yes, eventually. It's a that's a great question. We were actually lucky enough to have a an off take agreement with a distributor in Vancouver who will take all of our supply. They in turn will uh, they'll take what we call hog, a, a head on gutted fish from us, um, and they will distribute it to uh, both food service and to grocery retail. So there's some really good examples of branding in in aquaculture. We will be branding our product. Um, and, you know, currently our, our company is called Gold River Aqua Farms. I'm not sure that will be the brand yet. We haven't done that that exercise. But, um, you yeah, know, watch for it. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> we will, will, we will have our own brand. And, and yeah. you know, we'll see more and more of it, of the branding in, in uh, retail, but, you know, hopefully on restaurant menus as well. Yeah, that would be great. I think this is a really good education for our listeners and for myself. So you got in through the mining area right you came in through mining what do you what do you do in your your off time what are your crazy passion side of aqua farming well i love the natural world and um I, i'm lucky enough to live in a part of the world where i can step out of my door and go for a hike it's just amazing on northern vancouver island so, so my wife and i spend a lot of time outdoors we uh we go camping we go hiking just exploring there are so many trail systems around here it's, it's tremendous we spend time on the beach, just just gazing at the water. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty lucky. So that's that's our passion. We also garden an awful lot too. And winter gardening is not so great here, but uh, the rest of the year we, we, <laughs> we can. I guess not. And do you ever go fishing? I, uh, you know, oddly, I hardly fish at all. I don't. Uh, it's <laughs> why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny. I I'm uh, I I like fishing, but I, I rarely catch anything. So. <laughs> It, uh, yeah, I'm more of a sit and watch the water is what I prefer to do. Well, it is very relaxing to do that. It is. It's true. Well, how do people get a hold of you? If they want to like find out more about aqua farming, raft technology, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Well, we have a website. So the the, uh, URL is www.gr for Gold River 
aquafarms.com. And uh, you can reach us through there. Um, I'm happy to give you my my uh, direct email if you'd like, which is rkw at gr-aquafarms.com. At, uh, there's a lot of information on our website, and uh, we're always happy to to talk to people if they if they like uh, more information and more in depth information. So yeah, please yeah. So I really out. encourage people to go to your website. It is a wealth of information. You have a great video on there. You have great images of your aqua farms, your technology. Um, it's a really good education piece. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, and you know, what would you food for thought? Another pun. What would you like to leave the listeners with as far as like their education on sustainable food, sustainable fishing, you know, not being in silos, being connected? Well, pay attention to what you're eating. And it doesn't matter what it is, you know, meat or vegetables, pay attention to where they come from. I just think we, we need to be more, way more connected to the natural world than we are now. And I think it's unfortunate that you know, we, we go to the to a grocery store and, and pick up a package and not know or care where things come from. Um, I, I just think, you know, I mentioned systems thinking when, when we first started talking. You've got to understand that the world are only going to get better if, if we start doing the right thing. You know, think about regenerative agriculture. Um, if you can buy, if you're lucky enough to have access to, to farm products that are based on regenerative agriculture, do it. Um, you know, we used to complain about organic food being too expensive. It's not. It's mainstream now, and it's terrific. Support support the farming industry generally, but specifically support uh, you know organic farmers and regenerative farmers if you can. I totally agree with that, and I think the only way we actually change things in our world is through our pocketbook. When Absolutely. we're willing to not buy something, but buy something else that's better for us, you've seen industries wholesale change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Consumers do have a lot of power. They just need to put the pool, the, the collective nature of, of consumerism together and do the right thing. Totally. And educate like we're doing today. Absolutely. I really thank you in helping me and our listeners understand uh, aqua farming and sustainable fishing. You really debunked a lot of myths and you got me to start thinking in a different way about the source of the fish that I buy. And I'm a big seafood eater. Wonderful. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) Robert, thanks so much. Thank you, KJ. You take care. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast. And thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.